This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome back to the North Stars Pioneer Podcast. This is episode number 22 and we're your hosts. I'm Alex Weldon. And I'm Erica Robertson. And we're excited today. Uh, joining us here is Mike Gronsky. Mike is uh, our pioneer agronomist covering central and eastern Wisconsin. He's one of our very first guests on the show uh, back in April, and we're excited to touch base with him again now that we're nearing the end of the growing season and quickly gearing up for the 2021 harvest. Yes, we're excited to touch base again with Mike, but before we do, as always, we'll provide another broad GDU update. Mike's going to dive into more specifically his geography, but we'll kind of cover our three main points. So based on that April 26th planting date, starting to the west in St. Cloud, Minnesota, sitting at 2,456 GDUs, which is tracking 228 ahead of normal, and the next 14 days projected to be sitting at 2,649. Moving on to the east in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, sitting at 2,561 GDUs, which is tracking about 240 ahead of average, and in the next 14 days projected to be sitting at 2,788 GDUs. And finally, to the east in Green Bay, Wisconsin, sitting at 2,559 GDUs, tracking 466 ahead of normal, so continue to being way ahead of average there. And in the next 14 days, projected to be sitting at 2,791 GDUs. So as the GDUs continue to pack on and track well ahead of average, we're nearing black layer, that physiological maturity mark, and some varieties and parts of the geography already have hit that. And silage harvest is in full swing. Grain harvest is rapidly approaching. It's going to be here before we know it. And so just to get our heads wrapped around harvest, Mike is going to share some great harvest considerations and practices with us here shortly. Excellent. Thank you for that GDU update, Erica. Uh, this crop is definitely moving uh, quickly and, and whatnot. A better time to bring Mike onto the show. So let's welcome our guest speaker. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. So, yes. so I mean, Erica touched a little bit on GDUs and, and what they were seeing across the entire area. Um, as we look more specifically to right in my backyard here in Marshfield, um, we're, we're just the same as everywhere else. We're tracking well ahead of where we'd expect to be. Um, currently, if we planted in that early May time frame, basically the first half of the month, any one of those planting dates is going to put us a little bit better than 300 GDUs ahead of normal. So the interesting part, as we dissect that apart, what does that mean? Well, you know, depending upon what we would consider an average GDU accumulation throughout the course of the summer, you know, a lot of this crop is running two and a half to three weeks ahead of schedule. And I think the, the biggest challenge that we're going to see now is, is how quick can we get our silage harvest done? Um, that's, the, that's the first thing that's on my mind at this point, um, just because of where we're at. Um, as we look at typical silage harvest, you know, we typically expect, you know, a half point of dry down per day. Um, you know, that being said, you know, we're, we're two, at two and a half, three weeks ahead of schedule. That's certainly going to alter that. So last week when we did some burn downs locally here, um, we had 112 samples that we ran. Um, we were sitting uh, the average maturity on the hybrids were 97 was 97 day maturity. Um, average planting date was the 10th of May. We had a third milk line average across all those samples and we were averaging 69% moisture. Now I would certainly say I would expect that moisture to be a tick higher once we put the chopper in the field. I typically expect to pick up two to three points. 
But long story short, though, is that this silage harvest, especially for anything that we planted that's going to be an earlier season hybrid, is going to be upon us quickly. In you know, referencing back to that half a point average moisture dry down per day in silage, look at the weather that's going to wrap out this week here. We're going to get back up into the high 70s, and we're going to have some low 80s. There's not, we're not going to have more seasonable weather until we get to the end of this two-week forecast. So I would not be surprised to watch this crop dry at an even quicker rate. Um, so getting silage off might get tricky here. Um, the good news is, is that ground conditions are good right now. A little rain in the forecast here maybe, maybe tonight, but after that we've got some more good days ahead the way it looks. And I think it's going to be important to, to really work to stay ahead of this um, from the silage standpoint of things. So with that, Mike, you know, as we move into grain drydown, what are your thoughts there? I mean, if, if we're on average three quarter milk line of 120, 112 samples, you know, how many more days till we hit black layer and, and, you know, what kind of moisture are we at when we hit black layer? Sure. So, I mean, honestly, like, so the silage is actually closer to a third milk line than we were averaging, but a lot of the grain hybrids that we're looking at, we're in that, that three quarter milk line. Um, and some are even approaching are just on the edge of black layer. So, I mean, we're, we're basically right there. And I mean, within the next week or so, the stuff that isn't there, that's at that point, we should be getting very, very close, especially with the GDU we're going to accumulate. Now, once we hit black layer, basically we expect our corn to be sitting at 30 to 35%. And that's going to vary by hybrid. There, there's really no set number there. But the interesting thing is looking at the dry down that we would be able to experience. So if we look at calendar, you know, traditionally, you know, kind of that middle of September into the later part of September, we expect to dry corn grain moisture anywhere from three quarters of a point to one point per day. As we get in a later September, early October, we expect that to drop a little bit to a half point to three quarters of a point per day. So for some easy math, if we're at black layer and for the next 20 days, we average three quarters of a point dry down, we could pull as much as 15% moisture out of that crop. So if we were at 30 to 35 at black layer, so we could be sitting at 15, 20% moisture corn if the weather cooperates and continues to, to help us that way. So the, the comment I'd make there as we look at that is, I mean, you know, beans are certainly progressing as well, and we'll get to that in, in a minute here. But, you know, it could be one of those years where, you know, if we have some, some challenges when we go to cut beans, you know, maybe we've gotten some rain and, and beans are swelling again. Um, you know, we might want to entertain hopping in and getting some of that corn crop done. Um, because as we all know, the longer that crop stands out there, the more potential for loss that we can expect to take. So with that, then as far as just losses, you know, just a quick reminder for everyone, you know, as we look at corn and getting equipment set up, you know, basically, you know, every two kernels that you find in a square foot equates to a bushel per acre. Um, and as I look at this crop, I feel like the yield potential is good. Um, we've lost a little bit along the way. I think it's going to be a good crop. I'm not quite sure if it's going to be the crop we thought it was at the end of July. Um, but a couple challenges I see is one, just looking back at August, you know, we picked up 10 inches of rain for a majority of this area. We had a lot of nitrogen loss and it really showed up in some of these fields as we progressed through the month and headed into September. You know, and the other factor too, and we'll talk here too, is just disease in general in corn. Um, we're seeing a fair amount there as well. Um, and also seeing some anthracnose top dieback. So stock integrity becomes a question. So um, certainly, um, you know, be cognizant of that. And as we're looking at, at that crop and looking at moisture, you know, there, there's definitely some value in staying ahead of it. From a soybean standpoint, um, you know, from a loss potential, you know, basically every four beans per square foot equates out to a bushel in terms of loss potential. And they're going to progress well too. So if you look at 
on R7 soybean plants being defined as a pod anywhere on that plant that is of mature color, you could hit full maturity with it in as little as two weeks. Um, it can really move along, and we've got some weather to do some of this, so it's going to be interesting to see. But I mean, I I, I don't remember in recent I don't in recent memory the last time I watched soybeans change this fast this early in the season. So those are going to sneak right in there as well. You know, and as we get going with harvest, you know, making sure we're taking the time to calibrate our combine as we head into harvest. Um, you know, I've always, always said that the only thing worse than no data is bad data. You know, take the time to calibrate for each crop. Um, use multiple loads when you're calibrating uh, and weighing that out. You know, try to keep the load a little smaller in that five to 8,000 pound range. Um, you know, the other factor too is just look at if you're starting and your corn moisture is going to be higher and you get partway through harvest and we start to, you know, get more in that lower 20s or even upper teens, you may want to entertain another calibration partway through the season just to try and improve the accuracy of your data. Mike, would you say it's, it, it'd be safe to say that this year with the amount of, you know, you look at the geography, you know, that you're serving the central eastern Wisconsin, with the amount of rains that we've had with the heat, as far as kernel depth and hybrid differences on kernel depth, um, it's going to be very crucial to calibrate that combine this year because um, there's some there's some nice decent sized kernels out there um, and that's going to vary between hybrid we see that even every year but I think this year is going to be pretty crucial yeah I'd agree well I think you know we lost a few kernels here and there to tip back um, you know the kernels that are set on these years you know are going appear to have the ability to have some pretty good weight the size is definitely there um, so it, we're in a pretty interesting spot. And as you talk about the weather we've experienced, you know, now it kind of brings us back to just some of the disease that we've seen, um, especially here in the last, you know, six weeks and, and, and also how that's going to influence as we head into harvest, you know, soybeans, you know, we had a pretty awesome looking crop. And as we got into August, that August timeframe there, we really watched white mold set in again. Um, you know, the comment I'd make is I'd say it really varied. Um, based on, you know, practices, populations, fungicides, no fungicides. Um, there were, there's definitely some separation there. Um, sudden death syndrome, probably seen more than I have in recent memory. Um, not, not terrible. It seems like more of it was contained to field driveways, headlands, but start, starting to see more and more SDS every year in our area. And uh, certainly this year was no disappointment that way. Um, you know, in corn, there, there's an ample amount of disease out there. Um, you know, we look at tar spot. You know, it's been coming in from the southern part of our area. So we get down into the, the central sands. Uh, we're seeing a fair amount of tar spot. We're even seeing some hybrids um, that are senescing earlier than what they should be. And it's certainly going to have an influence on kernel size, kernel depth, kernel weight. Um, you know, there's been some great leaf spot out there. Um, seeing a little bit of northern corn leaf streak as well. Um, you know, and as we look at that, you know, we really need to start thinking about how that's also going to influence the crop. And the last thing that we're seeing a fair amount of, and more so than other years past, anthracnose-tied top dieback seems to be pretty evident as well. Um, primarily seeing it more in some of the stress fields, seeing it more in some of the late emerging plants originally from planting, um, but that's certainly going to have influence on yield potential, stock integrity. And as we look at that crop and how we should gauge it, um, you know, I would be out there as, as from where we're at now and starting to do some stock tests. You know, so last week, you know, as a group, we all cropped safari and we looked at different hybrids, different areas. We had different stresses. And there are certain products that are starting to separate themselves in terms of late season standability and integrity. 
Um, so I'd encourage everyone to get out in their field, do five random spots, 20 plants per spot, and do a pinch and push test. So when you do the pinch test, you want to pinch one of the lower two most nodes on the plant. When you're doing the push test, you want to push at ear height, eight to 10 inches off center. If you've got more than 10 to 15% of these plants that are, are failing this pinch and push test, this is probably a field that you're going to want to accelerate up on your list um, in terms of harvest time and considerations to make sure that we're not trying to scrape this crop back off in the ground three to four weeks from now because it's certainly more susceptible to damage from wind, heavy rain. Um, hopefully we're quite a ways away from snow, but I guess I'll say the S word at this point because it, it, it can happen when you get in October in Wisconsin, as we've learned, um, but just something, something to definitely think about here. Definitely. No, thank you so much, Mike, for providing the overview on, you know, harvest considerations and diseases and, you know, stock integrity as we progress through harvest 2021. So appreciate that update. Moving on a little bit, you touched on, you know, how we were on our little crop safari last week and saw some of our, our new products. Could you walk us through what are some of your favorite new corn hybrids that you're excited for, for this coming year? And then we'll go to the bean side. Absolutely. So 9193 is a product that I've been very high on since it started coming out of the ground. Uh, this product is available as an AM and a chrome. So we, we have options in terms of what type of rotation that we're running on the farm. Um, out of the ground, this thing I, I really felt was second to none. The emergence really was really, really strong in comparison to like that 9188 family that everyone's so familiar with here. And there was a huge improvement there. Um, just overall growth and development, the plant really catches your eye. It's got that deep green color, um, not a showy kernel count around. You know, it's a lot more of this 12 to 14 around, but just incredible kernel size and depth. And just looking at the kernels themselves and, and grabbing that ear, there's going to be a lot of weight to those kernels. So I expect this to be a, a higher test weight type product, uh, more, you know, comparable to like a 9188 versus where like a 9211 is not quite as heavy of a product. So you know, for our grain guys that are looking for an early option or even from a, a good silage quality standpoint, this is a product to keep your eye on. Another one that really caught my eye is 9619. Um, that product's only available as an AM, so for a heavy corn-on-corn -corn rotation, that may not, may not work out quite as well as we'd like. But another one here this spring, excellent emergence out of the ground, really showed its, its stripes around other hybrids that maturity, so really pretty happy with what we saw there. The yield potential is what, what I see that's intriguing. Now, obviously, the combine's going to sort this out for us as we get through harvest, but I really feel like this product is going to be a game changer for us in that mid-90-day range maturity um, in terms of yield and what it has. Um, from a positioning standpoint, you know, a product we're probably going to want to keep more in zone, south of zone, where 9193, you know, we probably can, can take north of zone a little bit, so just something to think about there. Um, and on the soybean front, you know, honestly, I, I think the excitement still just as a whole stems around enlist. You know, um, as we drive around this time of year, and, and we always get into that, we'll backtrack a little bit, get in that August time frame, and, you know, every, we all feel that we have pretty clean bean fields, and all of a sudden we start driving around, and we see a water hemp poking out here, and a water hemp poking out there, and every year, you know, we continue to fight that battle. And, uh, you know, as we're seeing more enlist position in the countryside, certainly seeing an improvement. Um, in terms of our, our weed management. Um, and the other factor I would say too there, um, just the last, this last run of beans here that were advanced um, in the RC class, really just a nice, strong push of good SDS improvements on white mold. I mean, there are some products here that really can fit a lot of these acres, you know, and get us uh, close to the agronomics that we've, 
we've enjoyed with some of our other key products um, on other trade platforms. So we're, we're in a good spot there. I'm really excited to see what this next class of soybeans brings because this year really has been a game changer for us as we've continued to advance more and enlist. And I, I'm expecting even more great things as we head back into 2022 here. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Yes. Lots of exciting projects or exciting products to be on the lookout for and, and to see how they perform once the combine rolls. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going, I think it's going to be a fun harvest. I, this, this could be one of the better ones that we've seen in a while. And, and the nice part is, is if it holds true and we don't get too much rain, we should have some pretty decent conditions to get through that on. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you being here uh, with us today, Mike. Do you have any closing remarks uh, for our listeners? Anything we should keep top of mind for the rest of the growing season here? Nope, just, you know, kind of just a, you know, not to, not to beat a dead horse here, but just stay ahead of the crop. I mean, once again, you know, the years like this get challenging because we kind of get caught off guard, the crop's further along, and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, you know, we're, we're falling behind, we're, we're leaving yield potential out there. So just, you know, continue to monitor your crop in your area and, and work to stay ahead of it. Absolutely. Great closing remarks. What is the best way for um, somebody to get a hold of you, Mike, if they, if they have a question? Sure. I mean, so if anyone has any, any types of questions or any, anything in regards, they'd like to reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mike Gronsky and uh, email Mike.Gronsky at pioneer.com. Wonderful. Well, with that, Mike, we so appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the North Stars Pioneer Podcast. Reminder to rate and review the podcast. Tell us what you want to hear. Share with a farmer friend and find us on any of your favorite podcast apps. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.